Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Cloud Wars Live, where generally we talk about the digital revolution that's taking place, and we're still very much into that. But with a few wrinkles that have been thrown at all of us over the last several months as our world has changed in a lot of pretty significant dimensions. But in some ways, what we're seeing is the impact of the whole COVID pandemic has had a profound impact on businesses, the way we work, the way consumers buy things, their expectations, the results that businesses are trying to face within that. So one of our monthly digital all-stars is Charles Araujo. And Charlie's with us today to talk about some of this. Charlie's an author. He's an analyst, a public speaker. He writes a, a great weekly series about your digital future. And uh, Charlie's with us every month to talk about Araujo on transformation. So Charlie, welcome back to Cloud Wars Live. We're always delighted to have you with us. And always good to be here. I feel like we just talked. I guess I'm not sure if that's a good sign or a bad sign, but time <laughs> is just flying right now. Is that because, yeah, I wonder, I've heard more people in the last month or two talk about, I don't know what day it is. Uh, this is the longest month in history and, and so on. But so I'm, I'm, I hope that's one of those transformations we can all move beyond. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. So Charlie, some of your recent work uh, has been fascinating. And I know for anybody who's uh, listening or watching, you know, we've got these ideas about disaster recovery and business continuity and resilience. And we've all heard those and those terms still apply in a number of ways. But Charlie, I thought you put a really interesting spin on a different way of looking at those here in the middle of 2020 with uh, just changes coming at us in ways that uh, I don't think anybody could possibly have expected before. So what's on the top of your mind about that? But, you know, it's interesting. When all of this started going down, I, I wrote a, an article, uh, I don't know, probably two months ago now, um, and, and it related to this thing. In fact, I think we even talked about it that uh, I put together called the Digital Enterprise Readiness Framework and the sort of realization that it was now tied to this idea of, of resiliency. And in the article, I said how pleased I was that uh, that I talked to a number of execs and they had executed their BCP, their business continuity plan. And I was just so excited, having spent a lot of times fighting the disaster recovery wars, that People had a BCP and they turned it on and that it, you know, it worked and it functioned. Um, but what's been interesting recently, as I've been talking to both on both sides of the equation, executives as well as tech company um, executives, is that there's a sort of growing recognition that, that while they did the job in terms of that kind of initial brace for it, that that isn't what's really needed. And this idea of resiliency is in fact very different from continuity or disaster planning the way we'd historically have thought about it. And that it's, it's in fact a very different animal. And so it's been this kind of interesting, so this is to me hot off the press of, I've been having these conversations just over the last few days and really exploring what that means. Charlie, you know, I was thinking about this. There's a, uh... You know, one thing you're not supposed to talk about on podcasts is your football loyalties, but uh, oh. I'm a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. And uh, recently there's been, you know, some different times people talk to the Steelers coach and he said, if you go back, you know, a few decades when the Steelers had the great teams and the great defenses, they played a 4-3 defense, you know, and then they switched to a 3-4. Now it's back to the 4-3. And is it going to go back to the 3? You know, these different things. And what the Steelers coach has said was, uh, he said, you've got to apply the people you have to the 
the way the game is played to the time, you know, what's going on at the moment, the realities of the way the game is played today. And it isn't so much that three, four is better than four, three. It's just what do the current circumstances require? And so when you talk about these things of resiliency, there was nothing wrong with the idea of resiliency, business continuity as it was before, but it seems to be a little bit of a mechanistic sort of approach from the past. And you're thinking about and trying to, you know, really advocate for a very different approach of what is resiliency? What is business continuity in today's times? Well, to, to your point, exactly. It, it is a different time. It's a different era. I mean, I'm j only half jokingly, I guess, starting to call it the disruption era. I mean, we were already in the midst of a, of a decade long period of quote unquote digital disruption. But certainly, you know, I, I again only half joke. None of us are going to forget the year 2020. I mean, this has been this you know kind of cataclysmic you know, uh, series of events that have really challenged things. But but the big takeaway here is that a business continuity plan was designed to absorb the shock of whatever the incident was—a terrorist attack or a natural disaster, whatever it was kind of get triage the situation, get to a point of stasis where you can survive. That was the goal to survive long enough for this very momentary thing to end and then return it back to its normal state, right? That's what a BCP was all about. And what we're finding is that that's not what we're actually going through. These disruptions, whether the digital kind or the pandemic kind are resetting what it looks like on the other end of it. And so if you start thinking about that, if you apply it, traditional approach to continuity, you end up in the wrong place, right? You have not skated to where the puck is going, to use the uh, other sports analogy that we should all retire probably. But, um, and so really, we, we start thinking about resiliency in this context, it becomes an exercise that involves creativity, right? Imagination, where we're actually trying to say, well, where is this all going? And how do we transform ourselves for that? Is it a uh... Mark Twain, I think, said uh, something along the lines that he said, you know, when I left home when I was 17 and, Love that one. you know, my dad was an idiot. And three years later, when I came back, I was amazed at how, how intelligent he had become in just three years. So we are uh, at a point now where I think Satya Nadella, Charlie, in uh, Microsoft's last quarterly earnings report at the end of April, he said, we've gone through two or three years of digital transformation in two or three months. Yeah. And in a, another Microsoft executive at an investors conference a week or two ago, he said two years and two weeks. Now, whatever that is, I think it plays into your notion of you, you go back to in time and you're not going to recognize your neighborhood. You're not going to know sort of where you are. The time and place is going to be, it's just, there will be nothing the same. And this, the incremental ways in which that happens are so happening so quickly and so profoundly and they're settling in i think on the buyer side of these where like uh you know i'm accepting this and i'm not accepting any other way it's not my you know i've got preferences here this is how the future is going to go it's it's a it's a time unlike anything i can ever recall and I think especially because we have, I mean, if you go back historically, we've gone through these kinds of periods and, and A, they were historically much longer. Most of the time, people in the middle of them didn't even really realize what was happening. And so A, this is so much more condensed that we, we have this really unique opportunity to see it unfolding and to understand it for what it is. But by the same token, it's, it's about how do you, what, what does this look like, right? I mean, it was 
this historically, you started in point A and you ended up in kind of some semblance of what point B and it was the, now uh, it's becoming abused, right? The new normal. Well, I think the best way to characterize, at least for the foreseeable future, from my perspective, the new normal isn't a new normal. The new normal is a state of continual transformation because it's just, and so resiliency becomes not a plan, not an approach, but a capability, right? The ability to continually put in the state. It, it was interesting. I, um, I wrote an article for CIO a couple weeks ago and it was based on an interview. I had the opportunity to talk with Matt Cutts, the, the famous, uh, very well-known uh, former Googler. And, uh, but he now is the administrator of something called the United States Digital Service. And they have a fascinating mandate in that they, their job is to sort of be a resource to transform the federal government. And I was asking him about how, you know, how do you do that? And, and, and the short, I mean, it's a great article and you should read it, but the, the, the short answer was basically prepare the, organ, the government to be in the state of continual transformation because that's where, and so I think it's becoming one of these kind of core capabilities and it's sort of just turning this whole idea of, of, of resiliency versus continuity on its head. So Charlie, a minute ago, you brought up the notion too of where creativity weaves into that. How, how does that change the face of what resilience has been and where it's going? Yeah, you know, it's, it's, um, I think this has so many deep ramifications because even, even if I tell you, right, if I, if I say, hey, Bob, I think I find you so to be so resilient. How do most people interpret that term, right? I mean, like he bounces back, you know, get knocked down, he bounces back. And when we talk about this type of resiliency, it isn't bouncing back. It's, it's going back to your football analogy. It's the ability to, to bob and weave and to move through all these new obstacles that are changing because they're, you know, again, going, I'm, I'm, I don't know football, so I should really not do football analogies. But, but basically, if, if you're on offense and you're going, your defense isn't standing still. It's not, you're not weaving through a fixed field. They're moving too. And so it's this constant interaction and, and reaction, right? And so when we talk about the need for creativity in all of this, it's the same thing. It's the fact that this environment is continually shifting. And so this idea that we can go and lock a bunch of people in the room for you know, four months and build a two-year plan, huh, throw that out the window, right? Mm -hmm. You need to be much more, the resiliency today is about applying this creativity. And, and so to me, creativity and imagination is just that I, I don't have my hands in chains and saying, this is the only way I look at it. And, and and, but I think what's interesting is we've been talking about this for a long time. We haven't really been applying it to this idea of how do you create the resilient organization. Yeah. And Charlie, you know, I, I think you're right there, the, the bounce back thing. Uh, you know, when I think of resiliency, I think of it, you know, especially in the concept of what you talked about earlier, disaster recovery, business continuity, right? You're going to stretch to absorb whatever that crisis was, the impact, and then it's unspoken in there, or perhaps it is spoken then you come back, you, you de-stretch, come back to what had been. And I really like your idea there of saying, no, it's going to be stretch and then stretch a little more and then stretch and adapt to whatever these new things are coming up. So is this creativity in, um, you know, the sense of people who are great designers or this or that, or is it, it does it go end to end? Uh, it's well, it is absolutely end to end, and it's you know, I mean, I know we've riffed in, in the past here on design thinking principles, and it, it is exactly you know, we, we talked last time about the intersection of design and system thinking. So, the type of creativity we're talking about, um, it, it is about this applied creativity, it's about looking at this landscape 
being able to sort of cast off the barriers of, of you know, restriction of how you think about it, but then it is looking at, you, you have to do in the context of the systems, how your, how your organization is currently structured and operated, um, and then looking at it from a design perspective of where is our customer going or where is the market going, where are the circumstances leading us to, and be willing to explore that openly and then saying, you know, how do I adapt and put these two together, right? So it's, this isn't about, you know, again, putting people in a room and go, you know, free think about a greenfield. That, that's not productive in this context. It's about being very, you know, application oriented, not from a, you know, technology application, but from how am I going to apply this creativity to solve this problem to try to build. And, and, and I think the other big thing is it's about putting this deep into your organization. Because I, I think what organizations are going to start needing in times of disruption, and the pandemic in this case, I think, is the exception, but it's, in many cases, there's early warning signs, right? There's the little, little things that start happening, and you need everyone in your organization not just plodding along doing their job, but sort of with their antennae up going, oh, that might be indicative of a disruption coming our way. And so now how can we apply some of this to start responding in advance? Yeah, and you know, Charlie, along with that, um, this this notion of applied creativity is a good one, and I think it's going to be one of those issues where the leadership from mid twenty twenty forward really has to take a whole different role. Yes, it's about executing the plan. Yes, it's about being disciplined and so on and those. But I think as much as possible, it's going to be the intake, new ideas, new realities, new expectations, new requirements and a new way of operating that as you've described here today, it just doesn't stop. And I thought, so applied creativity gets it, but in your CIO article uh, that you had referenced earlier, uh, you talk about a very interesting concept there, the AA term, and I'll let you lay out what that is and why it's important. The a, I haven't called it that. Okay, the AA term. So yeah, so I, I talked about the, what I called adaptation aptitude. And, and it's really just this, to me, again, this idea of building a capability, and in that case, I was specifically talking about the inter interchange of two things. One, continuous cultural transformation and the application of data as a source of insight, right? Which I think are gonna be the two critical functions of building this, this adaptation aptitude. But I, but I think going back to the point you talked about this being a leadership thing, cannot agree with that more. I think it is absolutely critical that enterprise leaders embrace the fact that they cannot plan their way to this new future, right? Yeah. This is not, the, whole, the entire thing we're talking about here is you can't go build a BCP. You have to build instead resiliency as this capability. And so how do you do that? So I was recently quoted, interviewed and quoted in this for this article, um, I think it was for the uh, Enterprisers Project or something. And, uh, and they talked about the fact that it was all about experimentation. And I think that's such, you know, and so it's the close cousin of experimentation is is fast failure or you know the, this willingness to accept a degree of failure um, and they, they go hand in hand and I think that's going to be a part of this and and but I think what's interesting is we again have mostly talked about this in the context of of innovation right it was it was additive and, and maybe there was existential risk if you didn't innovate but it wasn't actually disrupting anything at, in your current state now we're talking about in the context of your operational state. And I think it's just as important, but the stakes are even higher. And so leadership can't just whitewash this, can't just throw this over the wall and say, oh, go, yeah, go do this over there. It's because it, it's this finesse, this balance point that you have to hit of, of being experiment, experimental and, and accepting a degree of risk and failure tolerance, 
but you can only go so far because this is an operational state, right? And, and I think it's going to get even harder to do this, but even more critical. Yeah, that operational state, Charlie, I think is the key. And, you know, I, I do like uh, one of the things that I like about reading your work is your use of not just the concepts, which you describe very nicely, but also the words that capture those things. And, you know, language does matter. So when you talk about this new type of creativity, it's not like put people in a room and say, okay, you know, think creative thoughts and all that. How do you operationalize creativity in terms of everything from business models to product designs to how we do revenue to how we distribute to how we engage with people and on and on and on like that. And that leadership thing that we talked about a little bit as well, if a company senses at any level that the you know, senior executives, certainly from the CEO on down, are not operating that or they, or they talk about it, but are unable to put it into practice, you know, go take risks, go do this. But then, you know, you get your hand slapped for certain things or the compensation models are still tied toward old world while they're over here yammering about new world. Uh, I think those companies are going to be hit with a plague of people leaving them, their customers leaving, their employees leaving them. People you know, we all learned a lot over the last few months and we are not going to want to be in places where we feel like uh, they just don't get it. This is one of those old worlds coming. Is it going to go sliding down the grease tail? And there's no way to stop that. Yeah, it's uh, so first of all, cannot cannot agree more with the compensation model. It's probably the unsung hero of cultural change. Um, probably maybe that's what we'll talk about our next time we get together. Okay. It's an entire conversation. On its own, but I want to pick up on something actually you talked about about the, you know how you apply this creativity and and, and that it's from the top down, um, and I do I mean I think it's bottom up and top down, but I, I completely agree. And in fact, it's interesting. I was actually talking to some folks about one of your recent articles about the shift in spend and how traditional spending sort of froze, but cloud spending sort of erupted in a lot of the major players. And I'm actually fearful of I mean a that's good, but I'm fearful that that some of these execs that you're talking about are actually misreading this because the, the early adopters, those were the people that applied creativity and imagination to this. They took the risks, measured and controlled, but they were building themselves a capability. And now this pandemic hit and we have a whole bunch of fast followers, a whole bunch of people said, oh heck, I've got to go and do this now. And so now they think they've caught up. They think they're in the cloud, they've done whatever they've done and they think that they're set. And, but the issue is, is that they're, they're just now in a new stop, right? A new, new place. And they're going to continue falling behind because those people that moved early, they didn't move early because the cloud was cool. They moved early because they were experimenting and they saw an opportunity and they applied this sort of risk-taking mentality, controlled and measured, and they're on to the next thing already. They're doing the next thing. And these guys are now thinking, oh, well, we're on cloud too and we're set. And they're going to be just as vulnerable to the next disruption as they were to this one because they aren't building the capability. And it's, so it's, it's, it's so important to focus on that versus the end state. Yeah, and that, not only, Charlie, they're not building the capability, I agree with you completely, but on the other hand, they're, they're just looking at it wrong and seeing the cloud as the end instead of a means to this more enriched way of thinking that you're describing here. It gives, helps give you the agility, it gives you more options, it gives you the ability to test many things at the same time without you know, going broke doing that. Uh, and I, I think this thing of, of leadership is going to be profound here. And I, I don't, huh, there's an idea I want to toss out. I don't mean it completely literally, but it's also not so absurd that it could never happen. So, you know, we see uh, boards of directors now constituted in different ways and they're 
darn well should be pretty soon within some companies, this notion, there's a subcommittee at the board level of saying, what is our notion toward creativity, resilience, and your notion of, you know, the adaptation aptitude? Are we building capability, those capabilities for the future? Or do we just think that somehow our company, our industry is going to be immune to these larger forces that are changing the world from top to bottom? You know, it's, uh, first of all, I would love that. I'm not holding my breath for it, but I would love it. Um, But you're right. I mean, just like you have a finance committee in most boards and a compensation, right? I think you should see a board level ownership of this. And it requires a certain discipline. What I think is going to be challenging for most of them is A, this stuff sounds squishy. It sounds, you know, soft and gooey. And that's hard (laughs) for, you know, an organization like a, a board often to kind of get their head around. But I think the second issue is that it's, I think it, it, it's, it's ironic because in, in many ways it is just so innate to our humanity and yet it is still so not well understood in, in many regards, especially in a business context. Um, and I think that for a lot of organizations, it's that they're missing that, that like everything else, it's the traditional people process technology, right? You have to address, if you're gonna build that, you have to address the culture you have to address the structural side of this, the processes that you use to, to instantiate, support it and maintain it. And you need to address the technology. If, if you're running on ancient, that's why the cloud is so powerful. If you're running on this ancient rigid technology, you can do all the people and process work, all the cultural and structural work, but you're not gonna be able to pivot. And so you really need to be addressing this idea of embedding the creativity capability across all of these dimensions. And, and that's where I think people just, to your point, they're doing it wrong. They're looking at it in the wrong way. Yeah, I, I can recall, you know, 100 years ago, either in Little League, and there'd be certain kids that would go and buy a real expensive bat. And they think, well, I got this bat, I'm going to be a great hitter. Then in high school, <laughs> in high school, people would get those HP 56, what are those scientific calculators in the fancy cases? Well, I'm going to be good at math and physics now, because I got a good... But Charlie, the, you know, from... Uh, your, your article here. I wanted to read this one quote. You mentioned uh, the guy, Matt Coots from the United States Digital Service. And I think this captures a lot of what you've talked about here today and, and this new set of ideas that you're pushing really well, where uh, the guy from the United States Digital Service says, it's about giving the team members in various units permission They haven't been given permission to play with new ideas. They're not invited to be a part of the process. And that almost makes me think about that t-shirt that says, you know, the beatings will continue until morale improves. So you, you yelling at people, screaming at them, banging on them. Why can't you do more of this? And then you're locking them out of the ability to actually do things. Yeah, no no doubt. I I mean, I actually tell people all the time that when it comes to almost any form of this transformation, if we're talking about new disruptive technology, if we're talking about cultural transformation, that the biggest gap you have to close is actually the imagination gap, that people have trouble imagining this new future. And if they can't imagine it, that means they can't see themselves within it. And in many cases, the reason they can't imagine is exactly what you're saying. They have, not only have they not, I mean, he was being kind, in my opinion, having lived you know, a huge chunk of my career doing this. It's not even about not feeling like they have permission. It's like feeling genuine fear. It's like if I step out and put, I'm going to get swatted down, told I'm stupid. You know, it, the the risk versus reward goes going back to compensation models, right? The risk for reward model there is so out of whack in most large organizations that not only is there not an, an incentive 
to go and be creative and do these things, there's a disincentive to do it. Yeah. And so, yeah, the, I mean, this is fundamentally a leadership. To me, here's a big question mark. As I look and and it's funny, the pandemic, well, funny, the, for good or for bad, the pandemic and the civil unrest and the recession now have sort of taken our eye off this ball. But I think we need to get looking at this again. Because to me, it's an open question if, if, over, if I look over the next, say, 10 years, these legacy industrial age companies, if they can actually overcome their own inertia and, and actually solve some of these problems. Because these are so endemic, so deeply entrenched. And I don't think they're unsolvable, but it takes leadership. I mean, I, you nailed it early on, right? It is all going to come down to leadership. And I think we're seeing organizations both in the tech world and in the traditional world or whatever, the, the, the industrial age world, that are stepping up and their leaders are powering them into this future. Um, and it's not that they're doing all the work by any stretch, but it's exactly that. They are, they're closing this imagination gap. They're giving people permission to experiment, to fail. They're changing that dynamic and they're investing in the technology and the structural change necessary to do that. And I think they're going to be the ones that win, but it, it's going to be a real big question mark for me as to does, does, does everyone else sort of follow along or are we going to see a massive disruption over time? I don't know. Yeah. Charlie, let me offer you the last word on something to, tied to that. Because I wanted to ask you to just uh, riff a little bit more on this notion of the imagination gap. But if I could ask you to do that in a context here, right? So um, this sense of leadership and the vision that I think people are really looking for, right? You want to have a leader who's got a certain vision and then invites you not just to follow him or her to that vision, but to create it do it along the fly, you know, be a part of it, be a builder, be an architect, the designer of this new future. So the CEO of Novartis, a brilliant guy. And one of the things that he said recently was we had allowed ourselves in the pharmaceutical industry to become conditioned to believing that for, to create a new pharmaceutical product, it was going to take 10 years and $2 billion. And if you really executed brilliantly, you could make that nine and a half years and $1.8 billion. And he said, I looked at this, he said, in today's world with what's available and the way the capability from technology and experimentation, he said, it just didn't make any sense. So he said, we started to tear down that mental set that said 10 years, 2 billion. He said, what if you could cut that in half? What if you could cut it again? And I think it's that sort of vision that unleashes the opportunity, right? For the organization to have that imagination. So wrap things up for us here, Charlie, with a, a thought about the imagination gap and the, the role that leadership can and should have that in these crazy times we're in. Well, hey, I think you, you nailed it. I mean, I think that that is the, in my opinion, it is the most critical role of a leader. By the way, you don't have to be the CEO at any level of the organization to create this vision of the future and give your team permission to own it. That's the, the, the biggest thing. And this is the ego of a lot of managers, right? People that aren't accustomed to true leadership. This is where they struggle because this is a gift, right? You know, I'm a huge fan of the idea of servant leadership. This is about handing this vision over, crafting this vision with them and then handing it over to them to own it. And it becomes an incredibly powerful force for change. And I'd argue that if you look at almost any of the great change we've seen in the world, it centers on this one idea. But it's hard because you have to be willing to you know, go, let go of the ego side of it 
Um, and, and you have to be brave, right? You, you can't cast a, a big, you know, the, the, it's like the big, hairy, audacious goal. Right? The, 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 these are not new ideas, right? But you can't go do this timidly. You have to be brave enough to put out this vision of the future. And by the way, it's one last little piece on this as far as, because it goes back to some of your favorite topics around this. This isn't just about leading your company in the cultural change. You can lead entire changes in sectors, in industries. Salesforce is a classic example of this, right? That is what they did. That is the model of how they have been a transformative force and, and many of these types of companies, right? It is an incredibly powerful thing. And yet most, I, I believe it is fear that stops most people from doing it. And then the last little piece I'll say is there's two issues, the gap, the imagination gap isn't actually one thing, it's two things. It's the first is fear that makes up half of the imagination gap, and the second is ignorance, right? So I can't imagine it if I have no knowledge or understanding of it. So if you're a leader, how do you do this? You have to expose people, bring in outside speakers, and I know I'm a speaker, so I'm, you know, but you know, bring in outside ideas, bring in executives from partner companies, expand the horizon, so let them see things from different perspectives and then alleviate the fear. If you, those are the two parts of this imagination gap. And if you can tackle them both, then you start setting the stage for what can come. All right. So Charlie, we've got creativity, uh, fear, ignorance. You know, you've hit on some big ideas here today. These are great. Uh, imagination and so on like that. But that, that's, that's what today's ongoing, relentless, nonstop transformation calls for. That Those are the, the tools that uh, are the, the calling of our times, it, it seems. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. And I think, uh, you know, I'm a huge believer as I'm probably beating this dead horse about that these need to be capabilities. I think, you know, the, the last little piece of this is that we have historically associated these as, as traits of personality. And I would argue they're not. They're absolutely learnable and they need to be institutionalized as capabilities within our organizations. Perfect. And Charlie, before we go, we have your contact information where to, uh, people can find some of your work on the, on the, the website, but please go ahead. Tell people like with it, this, uh, your latest article and where people can find your work. Uh, the easiest way is go to charlesarajo.com. It's A-R-A-U-J-O.com. And uh, there's a heading at the top, your digital future and everything I produce or every place that I'm uh, interviewed or quoted, including this show is there. And so that's the best place to find everything. Perfect. Perfect. Well, Charlie, thanks. Uh, great discussion today. Look forward to that next one where we will set the world right on compensation. Sounds good. All right. Thanks to all of you for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live. It's uh, been a wild trip the last several months. I think we're all learning a great deal about where things are headed, this crazy new shape where the world is going to be. And uh, we hope that things are going better for all of you out there after a pretty rough few months for so many people around the world. Uh, I think it's going to be a great opportunity over the next six months or so. There's tens of millions of Americans who've been put out of work by the pandemic. Love to get them back on the job, along with many tens of millions all around the world. Pull things back together and uh, looking forward to getting this revolution back on its feet the right way. Thanks so much for being with us here at Cloud Wars Live.